This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We've got a pretty good guest in our second segment today. That will be author Jay Rankin. Jay's only recently become an author. Before that, he was a doorman at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. He probably wasn't the typical doorman, however, given that he had a master's in psychology. But uh, we find people's compulsion to gamble a strange and sometimes terrible thing, and we're not exactly big fans of, uh, of people going out and throwing their money away. Not to say you can't go out and have a good time sometimes, and maybe you should once in a while, but Vegas is an entire city based, I think, upon man's stupidity. But uh, I don't pretend to be an expert. Jay Rankin, however, is, and we'll be talking to him about his new book, Under the Neon Sky, in our second segment today. Let's begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 28th of January was on this date in 1077 that the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry IV, received absolution at Canossa, Italy, thus acknowledging secular submission to the Catholic Church. On January 28th in 1547, another King Henry died. In this case, Henry VIII died in London at age 55. It's widely believed that his demise was hastened by syphilis. On this date in 1885, British gunboats arrive in, up, arrive in Khartoum, Sudan, two days too late to save General George Chinese Gordon and his besieged garrison. The British had been surrounded and massacred by a fanatical Islamic army who believed that its leader, the Mahdi, was the latest prophet of Allah. On this date in 1902, Andrew Carnegie donated $10 million to found the Carnegie Institute in Washington, D.C. Carnegie followed his belief that a man who dies rich dies disgraced. He actually donated $350 million to various philanthropic institutions. Of course, in gathering all that money, he wasn't exactly a nice fella. In that case, he could have used a little Dale Carnegie. On January 28th in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson nominated Louis Brandeis to the U.S. Supreme Court. The appointment was confirmed over bitter opposition. Brandeis became the first Jew on the nation's high court. Brandeis had a distinguished career on the bench. And I just can't help mentioning, though today isn't the actual anniversary, it was 46 years ago tomorrow, on January 29th in 1964, that American director Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, opened in theaters. The movie focuses in on the action of a rogue U.S. officer who orders American bombers to launch an atomic attack on the Soviet Union. It is a masterpiece of dark comedy, and really, I think, we should remind people what a dark comedy ought to be. The stuff they're churning out these days really doesn't, doesn't pass muster. In fact, Mr. McMillan, if you will, let us run a clip from Dr. Strangelove. Mandrake. Yes, Dad? Have you ever seen a commie drink a glass of water? Well, yeah, I, I can't say I have. <laughs> Vodka. That's what they drink, isn't it? Never water. Well, I... I believe that's what they drink, Jack, yes. On no account will a commie ever drink water? 
and not without good reason. Oh, uh, yes. I, um, can't quite see what you're getting at, Jack. Water. That's what I'm getting at, water. Mandrake, water is the source of all life. Seven-tenths of this Earth's surface is water. Why do you realize that 70% of you is water? <laughs> and as human beings, you and I need fresh, pure water to replenish our precious bodily fluids. Yes. Are you beginning to understand? Yes. <laughs> if by chance any of you have not seen this, uh, this movie, by all means, do yourself a favor and go out and do so. Our quote of the day comes from H.L. Mencken, who said, The older I grow, the more I distrust the familiar doctrine that age brings wisdom. Our quote of the day comes from the philosopher Henri Frederick Amiel, who said, The man who insists on seeing with perfect clearness before he decides, never decides. Our joke of the day comes from David Letterman, who said last week, Conan O'Brien says he wants to work for a network that's more trustworthy than NBC. How about Al Jazeera? Our stat of the day comes from the Sacramento Bee. A couple weeks back, writer Carlos Alcala asked people with more than 70 countries under their belt to contact uh, him for an article they were going to do about people who'd traveled extensively. Our stat of the week is the winner, or perhaps we should say co-winners, which were Donald Philman from Gold River, who'd been to 110-plus UN-recognized countries, as well as Bob Livingston from Sacramento, who'd been to 160 countries. A yeah, frequent contributor to this program, I guess you might say, also made the list. And uh, who might that be? That would be Doug DeSales. Doug has contributed quite a bit to some of the medical, uh, medical portions of this program. He was a punk. He'd only been to 79 countries. The Radio Parallax was very impressed by uh, Bob Livingston, age 93, and his 160 countries, but there's some confusion... Because it turns out if you look up on the, uh, the website of the Travelers Century Club, you'll find that they consider 319 different entities as, quote, countries, unquote. I think there's only 192 in the UN and a few more that aren't in the UN, with it for a grand total of about 195, what we think of as politically distinct countries. But the Traveler's Century Club takes the reasonable viewpoint that if you've been to Alaska or Hawaii, you should be able to count that as separate from the continental United States. By the same token, if you've been to the Galapagos Islands and mainland Ecuador, those should count as two, or perhaps the Madeira Islands or Azores and mainland Portugal, that should count as separate entities. It's a pretty persuasive argument. So we suspect that uh, Bob Livingston's 160 came off that 319 list, whereas uh, Donald Philman's 110 uh, were out of those 192-odd uh, UN-recognized countries. We've uh, lamented the fact on this show more than once that only 25% of the American population even owns a passport. That number should be higher and more people should travel. Just not so you can, like, you know, have bragging rights of how many places you've been, but just to see other countries. The truth is, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame, and it's hard to really understand the nation you live in unless you've seen some others. Anyway, you might want to check out uh, Carlos Alcala's article online.
And as uh, you know, our stats go in this program, uh, that one was a bit of a cheat. So we'll give you a few bonus statistics we've, uh, we've amassed here, starting with the Harper's Index. Month by month, Harper's always managed, manages to dig out some interesting statistics, statistics, including the following. Percentage of Fox News viewers who say their network is, quote, mostly liberal, unquote. That would be 17%. And no, we don't have an answer to <laughs> how far right things would have to be for that 17% to think of it as conservative. How about this one? Number of executives at Wall Street banks so far who've been tried on criminal charges related to the financial crisis. That would be two. And of those, the number acquitted, that would be two. Who says the government's in gridlock and doesn't function? All right, here's a stat from the What's Up With That file. According to Harper's, the portion of women whose attractiveness is judged by U.S. men to be worse than average is two out of five. So American guys only rank 40% of women as actually less than average. On the flip side of the coin, the portion of men whose attractiveness is judged by U.S. women to be worse than average is four out of five. Ladies, what is up with that? There's no number to attach to this one, but uh, from the findings section of Harper's, which closes the magazine, they noted the following. Studies of birds and mammals show that males have more consistent personalities. Whoa, stop the presses. Sorry, gals, I'm still irked about the four out of five. And finally, this is kind of a surprise. According to the New York Times, New York City's Harlem neighborhood still widely considered the cultural capital of black America, is no longer majority black. After several years of largely white gentrification, African Americans make up just 40% of Harlem's population. And uh, before we go to the good, the bad, and the ugly, we have to do a bit of a correction in this program. We, like a lot of people, were apparently taken in by some misinformation. It was reported some weeks back that uh, John McCain staffers told news outlets that Sarah Palin, in preparing for her debates uh, against Joe Biden, didn't know that Africa was a continent. She thought it was a country. Well, the good news for Sarah is that that apparently wasn't exactly true. The bad news for Sarah was that it's, it is apparently true that she could not explain why North Korea and South Korea were two separate nations. Also, she apparently was convinced that Saddam Hussein was behind the 9-11 terror attacks. So it's still true that uh, she had to be tutored in the fundamentals of 20th century history, but apparently she wasn't that confused about Africa. Which, frankly, is pretty small consolation for someone who potentially could have been a heartbeat away from the presidency. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for tourism in L.A. 
when it was revealed that tourists are apparently paying $65 for a guided bus tour of Los Angeles' violence-filled <laughs> violence gang turf. Tour operators require customers to sign a waiver acknowledging the risk of gunfire before riding on unmarked buses in hopes of glimpsing real Crips, Bloods, and other gang members. I just can't imagine, you know, Fritz and Hans going back to Dusseldorf and <laughs> asked how their tour of L.A. went, saying, oh, yeah, we saw quite a few Crips. It was very interesting. And, uh, yeah, a few Bloods as well. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for... Texas students last week after new requirements were established by the State Board of Education by a 7-6 vote, which called for teaching about key organizations and individuals of the conservative resurgence of the 1980s and 1990s. Thus, high school social studies students in Texas now have to learn about the roles of the National Rifle Association, the Heritage Foundation, and the Moral Majority. Board member Donald McElroy, who pushed for the change, argued that the current curriculum was, quote, rife with leftist political periods and events, unquote. He said that balance was needed. His opponents then tried but failed to pass amendments that would have included Senator Edward Kennedy and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. We have to ask, is there any way we can give Texas back to Mexico? I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, if the United States ever needs an enema, I'm pretty sure the hose is going to go somewhere in Texas. Although I would add, of course, I have known in my life many high-quality Texans. Not one of them, however, was ever a public official. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for international relations when U.S. military officials confirmed the U.S. combat troops are using rifle sites inscribed with coded Bible verses. These sites, manufactured by Christian-owned weapons company Trigicon, contain engraved references to biblical passages such as JN 8.12 and 2 Cor 4.6. Critics point out that these coded weapons make U.S. soldiers look like anti-Muslim crusaders. Gee, do you think? Mr. McMillan suggests they may want to add, who would Jesus shoot on the stock of the rifles? Of course, a U.S. military spokesman said in response, are we going to stop using money because the bills have In God We Trust on them? Anyway, we decided to look up one of these passages, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and it is, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know, whatever happened to thou shalt not kill? Anyway, bonus item, we're not sure whether it's good, bad, or ugly, but it was a something for driving while distracted last week when it was revealed that after an electronic billboard in downtown Moscow displayed a pornographic video instead of its regular advertising clips, there was a midnight traffic pileup. All right, let's do some follow-up. We mentioned that, uh, that study about uh, couch potatoes having worse health. Here's some of the details. These Australian researchers apparently tracked the medical conditions of 8,800 healthy adults for several years. It turned out the more television the participants watched, the more likely they were to have died during the years they examined. 
On average, for every hour of day spent watching TV, a subject was 18% more likely to die of cardiovascular disease, 9% more likely to succumb to cancer, and 11% more likely to die of any cause. Study author David Dunstan told CNN.com, Prolonged watching of television equals a lot of sitting, which invariably means there's an absence of muscle movement. Long, unnatural periods of doing nothing physically clearly lead to premature death. The antidote is to get up and move. The more you move, the greater the health benefits are likely to be. Anyway, some good advice for all of us. I do want to add, as a follow-up to my rant on people getting on escalators, I was at Nordstrom's in Sacramento's Arden Fair Mall a few days back. They had an escalator. Nobody was walking. Even in descending, folks, let the stairs do the work for them. So my plea to you is, please, when you get on an escalator, use it like a stairway. And we're still just knocked out by a recent scientific discovery that uh, we want to just mention again. When you learn biology back in high school, you, you learn that plants feed themselves. They use chlorophyll. It's why they're green. It's why they're able to use sunlight to generate the food they need. They take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, they use sunlight energy, and they convert that into sugars and other organic compounds. This ability to derive energy from sunlight was long thought to be restricted to plants. Scientists have now identified the first animal capable of running on solar power. Elysia chlorotica, a leaf-shaped sea slug native to New England and Canada. The slug eats photosynthetic algae and... uh, When it breaks down the algae, borrows the tiny cell parts of chloroplasts, which is where the plant converts sunlight into uh, energy, and uh, keeps them alive. There's actually quite a few animals out there that have learned the trick of uh, of taking algae or, or, or photosynthetic bacteria on board and keeping them alive. Those giant clams you've seen in, uh, in all of these skin diving movies, they're actually partially able to feed themselves with uh, organisms, but in this case, the algae itself is gone. It's the chloroplasts that are left. But uh, they would stop functioning if they didn't have a steady supply of fresh chlorophyll. The sea slug has the genes to manufacture the chlorophyll, to replenish the chloroplasts, to stay alive on sunlight. The estimates are that uh, the slug may only need to eat one big meal of algae, and after that it just needs to crawl around in the sunlight. Pretty amazing. I remember scoffing a few years ago when somebody talked about how with genetic engineering we may be able to <laughs> give people kind of a green, uh, a green cast and embed some chloroplasts in our skin and have us walk around in the sunlight and feed ourselves. Well, as, as is so often the case, what seems like a crazy idea is something that nature has actually already thought of and put into practice. And uh, speaking of crazy ideas, let's close with the news uh, of the U.S. Supreme Court. In a sweeping 5-4 ruling, the U.S. Supreme Court last week struck down several long-standing prohibitions on corporate political contributions, arguing that legislative measures to control such spending infringed upon corporate First Amendment free speech rights. This was reported, we think, rather accurately by Jim Gober, a blogger who noted... Congenital liar Gingrich attempts a Republican beachhead after disastrous Supreme Court ruling. Said Newt Gingrich appeared on NPR radio 
to announce the latest Supreme Court ruling will allow the average American to run for office and succeed. He also said the ruling that would allow unlimited amounts of money to be spent by oil, bank, and energy companies would not help Republicans, but help the average person fight the labor unions that helped elect President Obama. On Alternet, the irrepressible Greg Pallast, we've had on this show four times, said, In today's Supreme Court decision, Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, the court ruled that corporations should be treated the same as, quote, natural persons, unquote, i.e., human beings. Well, said Greg, in that case, expect the Supreme Court to next rule that Walmart can run for president. The ruling, which junks federal laws that now bar corporations from stuffing campaign coffers, will not, as progressives fear, cause an avalanche of corporate cash into politics. Sadly, that's already happened. We have been snowed under by tens of millions of dollars given through corporate PACs and bundling of individual contributions from corporate payrollers. Greg titled the article, Manchurian Candidates, Supreme Court Allows China and Others Unlimited Spending in U.S. Elections. Said Mr. Pallast, under today's Supreme Court ruling that corporations can support candidates without limit, there's nothing to stop, say, a Delaware Incorporated handmaiden of the Burmese junta from picking a congressman or two with a cache of loot masked by a corporate alias. I'm losing sleep over the millions or billions of dollars that would flood into our elections from Aramco, the Saudi oil's corporate U.S. unit, or from the maker of New Order Fashions, the Chinese People Liberations Army, or from Bin Laden Construction Corporation, or how about Bin Laden Destruction Corporation? He goes on, George Bush's former Solicitor General Ted Olson argued the case to the court on behalf of Citizens United, a corporate front that funded an attack on Hillary Clinton during the 2008 primary. Olson's wife died on September 11th on the hijacked airliner that hit the Pentagon. Maybe it was a bit crude of me, but I contacted Olson's office to, to ask how much Al-Qaeda Inc. should be allowed to donate to support the election of his local congressman. Olson has not responded. Well, that's the kind of flamethrowing rhetoric that gets Greg Pallast uh, on a lot of people's band list. But, you know, he's got a point. Truthout.org quoted Ruth Marcus, writing an op-ed piece. As bad as the court's activism, though, was its shoddy scholarship in this case. The majority flung about dark warnings of censorship and banned speech as if upholding the existing rules would leave corporations and labor unions with no voice in the political process. Untrue. Under federal election law, before the Supreme Court demolished it, corporations and labor unions were free to say whatever they wanted about political candidates whenever they wanted to say it. They simply were not permitted to use unlimited general treasury funds to do so. Instead, they were required to use money raised by their political action committees from employees and members. This is hardly banning speech. Anyway, we'll have more to say about this atrocious Supreme Court decision, which was rendered by three of the original felonious five that put George Bush in the White House, Anthony Kennedy, a professor from McGeorge Law School, elevated to the highest court in the land, along with uh, Antonin Scalia, and his little ventriloquist dummy friend, uh, Clarence Thomas, joined in this case by the new conservative stealth candidates, Chief Justice John Roberts and Sam Alito. This 
was a bad decision. But that's all we'll say about it today. Let's let's take a short break and come back and talk with Jay Rankin about his adventures in Las Vegas. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Said if you're going to play the game, boy, you got to learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. 